Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, I wanted to talk today about the actual prayers of consecration because oftentimes we always talk about how the Eucharist is very important and central to our faith, but we don't really talk about the prayers of consecration or consecration. And I wanted to use this opportunity to discuss that because they're in every mass that we do. It's obviously a very important part of the faith. So highlighting on an important part of the mass seems like an important element to discuss here. So with that being said, you who say the prayers on a very regular basis, I feel that you're the the person to talk to here. So let's give you the floor and, and, and see where this goes. Well, just to situate our listeners, uh, you're, you're talking about the mass, Joe. And so uh, our listeners can think in terms of the, the prayers of the mass. It's to get the things in your head in a reasonable way. It's worth thinking about two major parts of the mass, the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. So, Liturgy is just a fancy word to talk about the official prayer. It comes from the Greek laos and ergon. It's the work of the people. So it's really the people's participation in the work of God. But those liturgical prayers are the official church's prayers and all the sacraments and the liturgy of the hours, the, the uh, morning prayer, evening prayer, things like that. Those are all liturgical prayers and they're official prayers of the church. So all the liturgical prayers are carried out by the whole body of Christ, the head in union with the members. So the whole body is present. All the saints and angels, all those throughout history, all those throughout the world, the whole church is there. So just a, a reminder, we've talked about those things before on the program, but I, I think uh, we can't hear it too many times. It, it really always sinks in a little bit deeper to think in those terms. So when we're talking about the Eucharist, that's the, the highest of the liturgical prayers because it represents Christ himself. Christ himself is the fruit of the Eucharist. It doesn't get any better than that. You can't have more than Jesus. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the idea uh, of the Eucharist being the font of all grace and the summit Everything is flowing from the Eucharist. Everything is flowing back to the Eucharist. That's really the, the centerpiece of our whole faith. And, and that's why, especially in, uh, the, as we have endured the, the pandemic quarantine and people have been cut off from the physical participation, it's extremely painful. We emphasize these truths in our faith. And so to have that separation from the Eucharist is, is a big deal. It's really a big deal. So again, the Eucharist consists of basically two parts, the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. That sounds a little redundant. The mass, let's say, consists of two parts, the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. And the church is very clear that they're, you know, it's not like the liturgy of the word is optional. And it's not like, in some sense, one is better than the other. It's one whole uh, thing. So you could say a human being consists of a head and a heart, you know, well, you can't remove either of those. That's just how that works. Now, is the head better than the heart? Is the heart better than the head? Ah, whatever. You know, they really need each other. They live off of each other. They flow into each other. They work together. So um, we talk about the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. That's what the mass consists of. Uh, the liturgy of the word should be obvious for people, and it goes up through the uh, the prayers of the faithful. So the readings then gospel, homily, at a Sunday mass or a solemnity, the creed, I believe in one God, 
and then the prayers of the faithful. And that's the end of the uh, the liturgy of the word. And then we, we transition over into the liturgy of the Eucharist, which begins with an offertory rite. And that's really important. And that's something that the Second Vatican Council really wanted to build up a little bit, give a, a little bit of room for that to be a fuller rite, because that's where we offer ourselves. And that's where the whole congregation really does participate. Now, physically speaking, a few people may bring up bread and wine, which constitute the symbolic offering, but it's really meant to be the fruits of everybody's lives. That's where we bring our lives up, uh, our sacrifices, our struggles, our joys, our successes, what we're grateful for, what we're praying for, our, our minds and hearts, everything. We're, we're really sending our bodies, our whole lives to the altar with that bread and wine. And then the priest, after giving thanks for those gifts, leads us in the, uh, the preface dialogue, the Lord be with you, lift up your hearts. Uh, it is, uh, let us give thanks to the Lord our God, and it is truly right and just. And then he offers the, the preface of the Mass, and then that takes us into the Eucharistic prayer. So now I've moved in the liturgy of the Eucharist, and now I've moved into the, the very center of the liturgy of the Eucharist, which is the Eucharistic prayer. And there are uh, 10 different Eucharistic prayers. There's one ancient one, which is known as the Roman canon or Eucharistic prayer one. That's the one that was prayed exclusively in the Roman rite. I'm talking about the Roman rite now. There are other Byzantine rites and Maronite rites and Coptic and uh, Syro-Malabar and a lot of other, there's 22 rites in the Catholic church, but we're talking about the Roman rite, one of those 22 rites. Uh, a lot of what I'm saying applies to all of the rites, but anyway, now when I'm talking about 10 Eucharistic prayers and one ancient one, I'm talking about the Roman rite. But there are 10 different Eucharistic prayers, and, and that's a, a variety of, uh, of prayers that we, that we offer um, with, with some different petitions. We're calling on the Holy Spirit. We're uh, calling on God the Father. We're making an offering. We're uh, recognizing our union with the angels and saints. We're uh, praying for the church throughout the world. We're praying for the living and the dead. We're, we're doing a whole variety of things in the context of that. Now, the very center of the Eucharistic prayer would be the words of consecration. And we say even that's the essential form of the Mass, are those words of consecration. So, a lot of other things can get messed up, and I, I'm sorry to all of our listeners for the ways that you've experienced things getting messed up on a regular basis by the willfulness of any particular priest. May God heal all liturgical abuse and uh, give us the, the Mass as he entrusted it to his church. There are things that get modified that should not get modified. Having said that, the one thing that has to be intact are the words of consecration. Bread and wine, wine with a little water mixed into it, and the words of consecration are the essential form and matter of the Mass. So if you got that much, even if the priest left off the first reading, or if he skipped the homily, or if he said the creed wrong, or if he messed up something even in the Eucharistic prayer, 
you still have the mass completed with those words of consecration with bread and wine. So that really is the, the very center of the center of the center of the mass. And, and what happens in that context is simply said, uh, bread and wine is transubstantiated. It truly becomes the body and blood of Christ. And his sacrifice on Calvary is renewed and made present and is offered for us as applied grace of that is applied to uh, to the whole church and in a particular way to those who unite themselves to that offering at the mass so again the center of the center of the center uh, the words of consecration so what are those words of consecration uh, you've heard a priest say them so many times they'll be uh, quite familiar to you take this all of you and eat of it for this is my body, which will be given up for you. That's the consecration of the bread, transforming it, transubstantiating it into the body of Christ. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. Basta. Those are the words of consecration. Those are the words that you will hear spoken in every mass, specifically those words in the Roman rite, something essentially the same as those words in any of the other rites are there in every liturgy, uh, divine liturgy, holy mass, uh, the Eucharist in, in whatever rite. So that's the essence of it. Now there are a few words wrapped around that, wrapped around those words. Those are different in the different Eucharistic prayers. And then there are prayers wrapped around those, again, uh, depending on the Eucharistic prayer. And then, of course, that is situated in the whole liturgy of the Eucharist, which is situated in the whole context of the Mass. So hopefully that was, uh, I walked you into that well enough that I didn't lose anybody halfway through. And, and we at least set the stage for, uh, for those words of, of consecration. And let me throw that back to you, Joe, for any reflections or, or questions or commentary. Sure. So the, the first part that I think that you mentioned there is that it's not going to be the same thing mass in and mass out because there's a different variety of options. Um, For the Eucharistic prayer. Yeah. The words of consecration will be exactly the same in every mass. It, 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 yeah. So, so so we hear sometimes that, that, that there's almost a litany of saints that is read um, prior to the consecration. There's, there's just a lot of different ways of doing it. Um, and, and I did that's, hear. Uh, right. Ten, there are 10 different ways yeah. of doing it. And uh, the one that you just mentioned is the Roman canon in which there are uh, 12, 14, 12, I think 12 uh, martyrs and 12 uh, apostles. So hearkening to the, uh, maybe it is 14. Anyway, it, it's a, it's a reference to the, the book of revelation. Okay, okay. Go ahead. So, so, my point being is that that I also you know saw and heard you say there is you felt pain whenever some priests are doing it wrong, not necessarily the the consecration, but but doing something in the mass wrong, and then also to emphasize that it doesn't take away from the mass in the sense that it doesn't diminish what the Eucharist is. It's a um, it it's just 
a failure on executing essentially you know we're not we're always not going to be perfect in our execution in everyday life nor is it i think reasonable to assume that every mass by every priest is going to be done perfectly reasonable there's just a certain numbers to it that at a certain point eventually someone's going to do something wrong somewhere and and i can see how that was a constant effort especially from your position as someone who trains priests to put an emphasis on doing it correctly and, and sticking to it um you know almost you know that's pretty much the fundamentals of your job in some regards there so i i understand that and I guess this is a question that's in one of the 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 ten versions of of the consecration prayers is Eucharistic prayer. Sorry, Eucharistic prayer. I keep saying that wrong. That's okay. uh, of the Eucharistic prayer is that it says Jesus said the blessing, um, but we never actually talk about what is the blessing that he says. I mean, it, it, even in the Bible, they just kind of assume that we all know what the blessing is, but. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> so with that being said, could you enlighten us and, and tell us what that is? Because I think it's something that has always just kind of crawled around in my mind. Like what was the blessing? Why don't we say it? You know, cause I understand that one of the interpretations of the final words of Christ on the cross was, um, was a reference to one of the Psalms. So I see, you know, that's kind of shorthand, like how when we say the Our Father, we don't write out the entire prayer, is when he said the blessing, another reference like that, that they just kind of expect everyone to know what the answer is. So I want to see if, if there is an answer to it, or if it's just he had a different blessing every time, and since he was Jesus, he knew how to do things. Uh, yeah, so to, uh, I, love, I love your question. In the sense that uh, you're really listening and you're you're not taking for granted that everything there is meaningful, and so you want to know what the meaning of it is, and uh, so that's great. And I just really thank you for that and encourage our listeners to have that uh, kind of attitude too as you engage, whether it's the liturgical rites um, or when you read the Bible, uh, have have questions. Let it strike your curiosity and and uh, make those things rise in your heart. So that's uh, that's great. Now I'll say, on the other hand, you you gave me a little bit of runway to think about this, Joe, and I uh, didn't actually. I have some places I could go to look it up, but uh, after twenty two years of monastic life and sixteen years of priesthood. Uh, my answer is, I don't know. So maybe that also gives you a sense of how important it is <laughs> in terms of uh, the the particular words. So having said that, let me back into what I do know and uh, what I can tell you and and maybe an invitation for you and for our, our, our listeners to uh, look into these things a little bit further. So remember that the the Eucharistic prayer and the Mass are um, giving again the the Last Supper. So this all took place, and um, I can actually read the Roman canon. Well, all of them spell this out in different ways, but in the Roman canon, it says, On the day before he was to suffer, he took bread in his holy and venerable hands, and with eyes raised to heaven, to you, O God, his Almighty Father, 
giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. Now, we could actually <clears throat> look up a couple of things here. Um, one is to actually look to the Last Supper. And uh, we could go to Luke chapter 22, for example. And there we read in uh, verse 14, When the hour came, he sat at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You see that connection already there on the night before he was to suffer. I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So it reminds us, it's a Passover meal. Now, the Passover had a whole set of liturgical, the, the, that's a, I don't know that you use the word liturgy necessarily. It's a ritual meal that the Jews had. It's part of their annual uh, ritual celebration remembering the first Passover when God slayed the, the firstborn of the Egyptians and set his people free. And the Israelites went across the Red Sea and into the desert for 40 years, et cetera, et cetera. So it was in the context of the Passover that this took place. And we presume that Jesus did all of the normal Passover things in the context of the Passover. And then it narrows in on the kind of little nuances that he introduced into the Passover meal, which we have then taken over into our uh, celebration of the Eucharist. To continue reading from Luke here for a moment, he says, <clears throat> I tell you, I shall not eat it, the Passover, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a chalice. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I shall not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the chalice after supper, saying, The chalice, this chalice, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And so he goes on from there. So we get a certain presentation of the Last Supper from Luke's gospel. Now let's take a look at Matthew's gospel, it's going to be a little bit different there. Not contradictory, but focusing perhaps on slightly different elements. In Matthew's gospel, we hear, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a chalice. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I shall not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day, that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we get a little different. The blessing, we heard the suffering part from Luke's gospel. We hear the blessing part from Matthew's gospel. We also get uh, drink of it, all of you here, and we get. Uh, this is poured out for the, uh, for, I'm sorry, we had, this is, which is poured out for you in Luke's gospel. Here we have, which is poured out for many. So what do we do in, in the Eucharistic prayer? We do both. Take this, all of you, and drink of it 
for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many. We just stick those things together. So we have a couple of different accounts of the institution of the Last Supper, and we kind of munge all those together in our celebration of the Mass to kind of make it full. Since there's, again, nothing contradictory there, just the evangelists were focusing on one piece or another piece, and they can be taken together, which is precisely what we do. So, so we're getting the entire, all the, you know, that, that central part of the Eucharistic prayer and the words of consecration are, we're, draw, we're draw, deriving them from scripture. You know, that's where those things come from. Now, again, historically speaking, this was in the context of a Passover. And so there was a particular blessing that was, that was done for the bread in the context of the Passover. And it was probably, this is where I, I could look it up. And there's a wonderful website called Hebrew for Christians. Uh, I think that's right. He, Hebrew for Christians. And, and it goes through a, a lot of the different rituals and it goes through the different Psalms and the different prayers and things that would have been natural. You know, Matthew's gospel was written presumably for a Jewish community. That's the sense that we get from the kinds of things he explains and doesn't explain. So when Matthew says Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it, He's writing to Jews who know the Passover and they go, oh, yeah, well, he, you know, probably said this, this blessing prayer over the bread. That's, that's the normal thing you do in the Passover. And so you could look on that website. Um, it's probably something like we actually do at the offertory. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, uh, uh, offer you fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Now, he wouldn't have said necessarily the bread of life there, although uh, possibly. So, but it's uh, probably that kind of blessing, that blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received this bread we offer you. Um, that kind of core piece is, is repeated in Jewish blessings, just like we as Catholics are used to May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's sort of part of all of our blessings. So that would be something like the text of what he said. Now, again, the fact that neither the evangelists nor the Mass repeats that blessing uh, means that the words themselves are not so critical for our understanding. It's good for our enrichment, and that's why I uh, praised you earlier for asking the question, for thinking about these things and not just taking these things for granted and glossing over them as I've been doing for the last 22 years, but to uh, listen carefully and say, what, what's that about? Where, where does that come from? What does that mean? Why, why is that in there? Great. Do that because there is a meaning to it. There's a, a deeper richness. It's not essential for our kind of basic understanding and really to derive great benefits from the Eucharist, but it helps us to go deeper into the historical context and understand the uh, the meaning of those prayers that we say every day so yeah and that's i think part of what makes makes it more engaging is that if you know you go through life and you're not asking questions and you're just kind of going through the motions you you become detached and the the essence and the value of the mass really declines and i think that what you just highlighted there is is important as well is that it's not necessarily that we need to know everything verbatim you know god's getting the the effort and the intention behind it is sometimes more important and the analogy that i had that came to my mind is pitchers in baseball you know 
none of their techniques are ever exactly the same, but they're all getting the ball from the mound to home plate in different ways, but it's happening. And I think that that's part of what's called to us is, is the essence of putting ourselves forward to be able to participate more. And, you know, it, it, it does when you read things and, and go through a lot, I think it does naturally ask questions if you're engaged there. And I think that the other part that I didn't want to, to miss that you said was when, you know, the individuals are actually physically taking up the, the unconsecrated uh, you know, bread and wine to the altar, I had never really thought of the, the symbolism of they're taking everything they have from the congregation with them as well. All of our ups and our downs and our, our sads and our sorrows. And in essence, I mean, that, that, that probably should be obvious if you would sit down and think about it, because when you come and you kneel and you pray before mass starts, we all kind of go to those places, you know, thanks for the things that are going well. And, and probably most of us spend more time dwelling on the things that, that aren't going perfect. So I think that that's a little bit of human nature there. And I never really thought of physically, that's what you're bringing to the to the altar there because obviously part of of the prayers of the eucharist is that we 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 explicitly say that we are not worthy and and that's uh, that that's something that's i i guess in in every version of of the 10 different prayers i mean i think we there's a couple of them that changed the way we said them but I'm not worthy for you to enter underneath my roof is, is, is acknowledging that, you know, we're, we're not perfect. We, we, we do have problems here. And I, I guess I've never thought that all the way through that we're still bringing that with us. Cause even though it's not the part that we like to talk about it, unfortunately it is still part of us, you know, some of us have houses that are really close to each other and we don't always clean it in that side of the wall whenever you can't really reach to it. But it doesn't mean it's not there. And if that side of the wall started to crumble, your whole house would crumble. So it, it's something to, to think about in those regards. So I didn't want to, to misconstrue or be wrong with anything I said to take away from it. Uh, but that was the thoughts that I had that when we're asking essentially to be forgiven right before we come up to the Eucharist, I, I, I'd like to spend some time talking about that because we're obviously not perfect. Um, Jesus was, but we aren't. And, and to talk about why that part of the Mass is important and what's going on within us as members of the congregation. Um. Would it be worth uh, delaying that to another cast? Sure. Well, we can we can make that next week's episode as you guys just got a preview for, for what that will be. And again, we do thank you guys for listening. And I know that at the end of every podcast, I, I say something similar to that effect, but it really does make a difference that uh, that you guys review it and, and click the stars. We, we do thank the people who have done that. Um, the, the cast is, is just growing like crazy. Um, corona or, or not it, it is just growing like crazy and and we're finding that a lot of people that are joining the cast for the first time will w listen to to many episodes over a span of a week 
and we, we appreciate you going through them. And we thank you guys for being part of us and helping us grow to reach out to new people. So we thank everyone out there for helping us and we'll be with you again next week.